We don't do memory care because memory care focuses on the limitations, the risks, the dangers. We do human being care. And we've almost tried to put that disease on the back burner. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international presenter on how to respond to dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe, just maybe, we'll have a laugh or two, because we all know laughter's the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, no, I'll never forget your (laughs) fermented grape juice. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a lot of people still have the notion that assisted living and memory care facilities are less than stellar. Right? They still have the old notion of they don't provide proper care. And throughout our journey as caregivers, and since then, caregiver consultant, educator, and advocate, we have visited several facilities and found this to be far, far, far from the truth. Absolutely. I mean, more and more the resources available to families and those who, are, who need care are dedicated to reaching out to what comforts and and supports the individual when they're in the care home. And one of the things I often tell caregivers who are concerned about placing someone is caregiving is not location-based. And often there there are many, many reasons to make that decision. And if you've told a parent or a spouse that you would never do that, what you're actually promising them is you'll see to it they get the best possible care. And very often it's not safe for you and it's not safe for the person in your care to be at home any longer. And you get to be their loving advocate and family member and other people get to take care of the day-to-day needs of this person. And we should all be glad that these uh, places are available to us. Um, Today's guest is a social worker with 31 years of experience in the field of senior care with a primary focus on memory care. She has twice received the Alzheimer's Association's Outstanding Caregiver of the Year Award. She is a certified as a dementia practitioner, dementia care trainer, and Montessori dementia care professional. We are very pleased to welcome Vice President of Memory Care Services for Artists Senior Living, Mary Underwood. Mary, thank you so much for being with us today. And we would love to hear what brought you into this uh, caregiving world and um, invite you to share your wisdom and your knowledge and your charm <laughs> with us and our listeners. Okay, well, <laughs> no pressure. No pr- I was going to say, no pressure there. So I think, you know, and I'm just listening and I could so relate to people's stories and their history and, you know, that I'm never going to put mom in a nursing home because I look back and I'm actually now 33 years in the field. And 33 years ago, I think that would be a fair thing to say is I didn't want to. And when people ask, how did I get into it? I truly fell into it because it wasn't a career decision back then. Nobody was saying, I'm going to go into memory care. I want to work with people with Alzheimer's. I was 24 years old, so I now just gave away my age, but I was 24 years old. I was offered a um, social work position in a nursing home in the state of Connecticut. 
and it was one of the first Alzheimer's units in the state. And at 24, I was given the job because nobody else wanted it. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody. I'm like, okay, like this can't be so bad. And and it truly was not something I was looking to do. And it wasn't an area that people were focusing on. I um, have a degree in social work. And in my undergrad, we were offered one course in aging. And that was it. So again, it was not something that people were looking to do. It wasn't a field that people said, I'm going to go work in Alzheimer's care. It was, you kind of fell into it. And that's what happened with me. And I very luckily fell right in the right place. Well, you know, saying that you got, you got the job because nobody else wanted it is very often what happens to family caregivers. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's nobody. And I, I do a lot of training for families and staff. And I say, nobody says, oh, oh, I can't wait till I have to care for my loved one with dementia. There's, I'm both in personally and professionally, and, and it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, but families do, they fall into it, and it's often the daughters or the daughter-in-laws um, who are put in that position with zero training, zero skill, and zero desire to really do it other than they fell into it. So what, what's interesting is you, you mentioned that it's usually the daughters or the daughters-in-law, but there's recently, the past three, four, five years have been a very serious uptick in male caregivers. Yes. And I do some speaking on the male caregiver perspective. I've, I've spoken at a couple conferences about that because people don't think of the guy as being or if we do, we think about the guy is taking care of the financials. Yes. They're doing the legal. They're the problem solvers while the daughters are the caregivers. They're yeah. the hands-on. We or, don't often see men as the ones. Or what's in it for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You had mentioned that you had one course in aging with social work. Has that changed? It's changed significantly. Really? Um, now you can major in gerontology. There was none of that 33 years ago. And I actually just spoke at um, Quinnipiac University as a guest lecturer, and it was dementia, uh, the fundamentals of dementia. And it was so fascinating because there were um, law students who were in there. There were financial um, majors that were in there and a lot of physical therapy, occupational therapy. And I asked them how many courses, and they indicated that they have 30 to 40 credits that they could take in the, in the area of aging. And I thought, wow, you, we've come a long way, well, a long way. They could take, but it's not required curriculum. It's not, well, it's required for some of the majors, okay. Okay. but for law, it's not required right. for financial. And there was actually a young lady who is a um, finance major. And after talking for a bit, she said, listening to you and how much dementia impacts people don't you think every major should have to take a course in gerontology? And it's like, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I do. You know, even waiters and waitresses are dealing with people who have dementia, bank tellers. Yes. Um, when we do educational offerings for people, a lot of people think we need to educate the healthcare professionals. We've done trainings for um, postal workers on what to look for. I'm trying to do, you know, ER receptionists, um, physicians' offices. It's really the front desk person who needs that training. We've done bank tellers. It's not just the healthcare people that need to be aware, but so many more professions. I truly believe that every adult, every single working age adult, and even 
earlier than that in the high schools and in the colleges need to know how to prepare to care and what's coming. With the huge numbers, huge increase in numbers of diagnoses, not only in old people, it's not just in old people's disease, care homes are going to be overwhelmed. They're going to, beds are going to be fewer available. They're going, it's going to cost more. More and more people aren't going to be able to afford to do this. And as we often say, and I started with this, caregiving is not location-based. Even if somebody is in a care home, does not mean that you're, you're not actively involved in care and need to understand. And so much of the frustration that comes to family caregivers when they're doing this at home is they don't understand the behaviors and they don't understand how to respond to them. And that increases the stress level for everybody in the household. And it's not just the primary caregiver. Sometimes there's children in there. It affects marriages. It affects relationships with grandchildren. And it's, it's a family, it's a disease that affects the entire family. And if you're not prepared and you don't understand, then the chances are that it's going to be extremely difficult. I mean, in, in the later years that I was doing this, I was having panic attacks, I was having migraines, my hair was falling out, uh, which is why one of the reasons we do what we do now, because having understood what happens when you walk into this thinking, well, you know, this is my father-in-law, he's coming to live with us, families take care of families, Absolutely. this is going to be yeah. great. Yeah. He's going to thrive in my care. And then that circles back to, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Caregiver guilt. Oh, absolutely. I've lost my patience with him today. With, with you know, I, I'm a bad person. Uh, what's going to happen now? So the education needs to be there. And that's part of what you do. Yep. And that's, that's very important, what we do. And listening, you know, to some of your podcasts, too, and I, we talk about, I, I think about how many times I've done the educational offering about driving and dementia. And I think, how many times do I have to do this until I realize how many more people just entered this phase of the disease again? And how many times do we have to explain the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's because people aren't learning about it until they're faced with it. Right. Um, But it is nice to see more awareness, more conversation about it than we did 33 years ago. I actually talked to somebody not too long ago whose doctor had said, it starts as depression, which turns into dementia, which becomes Alzheimer's. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. We actually heard the diagnosis for my dad. Um, We had a healthcare professional say he has Alzheimer's without memory loss. And I just kind of went, I, I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and this was, and I think about, and you, you two all, we know what we know, so I knew enough to question. But how many family members would walk away mm-hmm. saying, okay, my, my dad has Alzheimer's without memory loss. So we have a long way to go. And that's why we're out here doing what right. we do. And I can't will, tell you how many times we hear, oh, he doesn't have dementia, he has Alzheimer's. Right. So she, she has Alzheimer's, not dementia. Yeah. Well, People don't understand that's one dementia under the dementia umbrella. And my dad, I think because there's more awareness, my dad had FTD, you know, frontal Mm -hmm. temporal dementia. Um, If I I could have diagnosed him, I would have said he had primary progressive aphasia. But, you know, he had, you know, FTD and he had an uncle 
who had early onset Alzheimer's in his 50s. And my father just kept saying throughout the entire disease process, as long as I don't have Alzheimer's, as long as I don't have Alzheimer's. And as bizarre as it sounded, we would say to him, Dad, you don't have Alzheimer's. And he went, okay. He didn't know enough about FTD to know yes. that's not what you want either. But right. we were able to say to him, you don't have Alzheimer's. And there was a peace of mind. There was a peace of mind for him. Right. And, you know, again, hearing what people know and what they don't know, when I would say my dad has dementia, they would say, oh, does he know who you are? Always was the first question I yeah. got. And his dementia, he knew who we were until he took his last breath. Right. But people have this perception of, if you have dementia, this is what it looks like. And it always late stage and Alzheimer's. And, you know, we all know that's not, not the case, but it's educating people to, to see that and know the difference. Yeah, see, my dad had Lewy body yeah. with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Which is very different than Alzheimer's, and it's very different so, than yeah, frontal temporal. Always knew who we were. Yep. There was yeah. never a time that he didn't know who we were, but it's under that umbrella. Yeah, yeah, it's a big umbrella. And again, I think the difference is 33 years ago when I started, there was no umbrella. It was words like senility and hardening of the arteries yeah. and organic brain syndrome and all those things. And then the pendulum kind of swung to the opposite where the umbrella was Alzheimer's. Yes. That no matter what, memory loss, you had, you had Alzheimer's, everybody had Alzheimer's. So it's nice to see that the umbrella has become more knowledgeable mm -hmm. <laughs> and that we're seeing the actual differenti differentiating diagnoses and therefore treatments and care and behaviors that come with those. I try to refer to it as Alzheimer's dementia. And if somebody says, oh, they have dementia, what type? Yeah. And, um, because it's, it's very confusing for some people, right. and some people think it's only a memory problem. Right. And some of those other behaviors they think they're doing on purpose, and I did that as well with mm -hmm. Mike's dad. Um, I would get very frustrated because we would go over something and he seemed to agree to it, and the next thing you know, it was the total opposite. And yeah. I'm like, why are you doing this to me? And it feels like, why are you being so manipulative? Why are yes. you doing this on purpose? Like, you yes. must be trying to push my buttons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's just a byproduct of what they get to do. <laughs> yeah. So on, on the artist website, it says that you specifically develop and implement a mission and philosophy that supports dignified, individualized care for those diagnosed with memory impairment. Yes. So you have a whole host of facilities. Yep. How does one work an individual care program? Right. I, I say the biggest difference we are, and my salespeople and some of you know, the people that work in the communities look at me like I'm crazy, is we don't do memory care because memory care focuses on the limitations, the risks, the dangers. We do human being care. And we almost try to put that disease on the back burner. That even if everybody in our community had Alzheimer's, they're still all very different individuals. Mm -hmm. Some of them want a purpose and they wanna make their bed. Some of them wanna be waited on. Some of them love children, some of them don't. So the building itself, the actual physical community takes care of the safety needs of somebody with dementia. You know, it has the wayfinding cues and security that it needs. But whenever somebody walks into our community, and it's not even just our residents, but our associates also, mm -hmm. it's they are a human being first, and they just happen to have a disease. And having worked in many places with memory care, it's, you know, the word they 
is is probably one of the most annoying words for me. And, you know, oh, they can't have wine or they can't do this or they all like this. It's it's like saying everybody in this room right now that we all love the same things. And And I think the biggest difference we also do is that we really have the belief that I understand the disease. I understand the disease really well. Right. I know nothing about this person walking through the door. So the only way we can provide really good care is to partner. We are not a provider of choice, we are a partner of choice. That you tell us what you know about the person, we'll tell you how that plugs in with the disease, and then together, we're on this journey together, and um, it really is, again, looking at the human being and not the disease. It's interesting, because a lot of times you treat a disease or you treat a symptom right and well, forget about everything else very often in the medical world you're identified as the disease oh, or the yes. or I, even my sister who um, is special needs she um, we were at the airport one time and she was in a wheelchair you know and we're getting ready to board the plane and i heard the you know the the person working the the desk say oh we have one more wheelchair to go on and it's like no 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 that's not a wheelchair that's my sister in a wheelchair, but again, they look at, or even being in the hospital, it's, you know, I remember hearing out in the hallway, somebody saying, oh, I'll go take care of the C-section. I'm like, no, I'm not a C-section. I'm a mom who had a C-section. And I think it's the same in memory care. It's we so much focus on the disease that we lose the human being. And the disease does that enough on its own. We don't need to encourage it and be an enabler. We really do embrace the human being. We've said many, many times, and we realize that behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. And if you have X number of people, 10 people, 20 people in your community, how do you work to understand the communication of each individual when they're acting different ways? One, it's getting as much information beforehand as we can. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of, you know, communities out there get a, a profile about the person. It's great that we know when their birthday is, but I want to know how do they celebrate their birthday? Ice what? cream. I want ice cream. Okay. Yeah. And wine. <laughs> Obviously, and wine. Ice cream and wine. We have some people who don't want to celebrate their birthday. And we have had celebration days go by where we don't even recognize that person because that's what they want. Mm-hmm. We don't ask, what did they do for a living? Well, we do ask, but then we ask, did they enjoy their work? If not, what did they want to do? What was their dream job? Um, Because, again, when we gather that information, we focus so much on the facts and not on the emotion of the human being. And and sometimes it's a lot of trial and error. And um, great story is, and I love stories, so sorry. So do we. Okay, okay, good, good. So do we. (laughs) We had, I just, and we do a lot of brainstorming and, you know, case management. And we just, you know, no idea is a bad idea. Like, we always have the philosophy of why not? Let's try it. But we had a gentleman out in... um, our Woodbury, Minnesota community. And he moved in and, you know, his communication was, I want to go home, I need to go home. And he would try to go home and home. So we pulled his profile, we talked with him. We're like, what do you have to do? He's like, I, I just have stuff to do, I have stuff to do. And we learned he was a um, warehouse supervisor. So he would supervise the inventory coming in and out. So we started with any time a delivery came to the community. You know, food service day was a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, when that food truck came up, we would we get this gentleman, we bring him outside, and he supervises. Um, and he supervises th- what's happening, and he's like, they're working too slow. They're only putting 10 on that. They could put 11. They should be doing... And he, for an hour, will supervise that happening. 
when a UPS delivery comes for medical supplies, he's out there supervising. Since we've started that, he has once not looked to go home. So That's again, awesome. it's not that he was looking to go home, he was looking for his purpose. Right. Um, and in our communities, after I would say the initial month, very few of our residents look to go home because we try to find out what does that mean and what does that look like? What would you be doing if you were at home? What does home feel like? Okay, we're gonna give you that feeling now. And you know, we had another gentleman who, um, same thing, he worked on a farm and big construction guy. And we all came together as a team. Somebody who worked in the community had an old drafting desk. I, we have no idea why, she doesn't even know why. So we brought this drafting desk in, we um, contacted our construction team they got the tools, the rulers, the weights, and some old plans from prior huh. communities. And he sat there for hours and just helped design another building, never again looked to go home. So it's, I'd love to say when they walk through the door, we're instantly gonna know what that is, but yeah. it's so not cookie cutter, because what works for you, right? you know, if I said to another resident, here, I want you to come supervise the, you know, the deliveries, they'd be like, what are you crazy? Like that's well, so it's it's finding those unique things, and it's it's fun when you find it, and that's transferable to people who are caring at home as well. Too many people think, as I did when Roger first came to us, and he'd say, "What do you want me to do today?" I'd say, "You just rest. You don't have to do anything. I've got this." And he said to me, "You can't loaf all the time." <laughs> I needed. He needed to have something to do. Now, he always went and got the mail. Yeah. Um, he never opened it. He just brought it. But, you know, and he got very concerned if it was late, but that was part of his job. Yep. And then he started helping around the house. I got him a feather duster. Powerful Italian man with the feather duster. <laughs> is, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it's, it's, and it's not about the task and how well it's completed. It's about the purpose they have while they're doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because at Christmas time, he wanted to help with the Christmas tree. So I would lay out all the ornaments and then he would put them on the tree. Now he put them right in, in his, yeah. right in his field of vision, yeah. straight ahead, and he would put them all there. And then um, he would go because it would wear him out. And then I'd go arrange them all over, and then later on I'd call them down and say, Dad, look at the Christmas tree. Look how pretty it is. And it's, it's families, I think, and it's, it's a struggle that I see. And, and I could say even personally I felt it some way that, you know, some people will say, you know, Dad, you got to spread out the ornaments. You have to do yeah. that. Because if I accept that you're putting them all in one place, I have to admit you're as bad as I don't want you to be. Right. So if I can just make you put the ornaments on the tree the right way, then there's nothing wrong. It's not that bad. I think it's so much the need to hold on to things aren't that bad. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we've had, uh, back in uh, season one, we had a woman, Tipa Snow, yes. yep. on our program, and she says, you have to go where they are. Mm -hmm. They can't come here. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you, real once you realize you go where they are, life becomes so much enjoyable. It is. But to... But to admit where they are that's hard. is that's really hard. hard. Yeah. And I, I just remember even when my dad, when, he, when we brought him to be assessed, and he was the one who asked to be assessed because he wasn't able to solve the Wheel of Fortune puzzles as quickly as he used to. He was a whiz, and we were starting to get them faster than he was. 
So he decided it was time to get assessed. And I remember going, we had the assessment, and we all knew there was something wrong. But I'll never forget sitting in the car in the parking lot the day we were getting the results and thinking things will never be the same. Oh, yeah. Because up until this point, it was kind of we thought, we think, it's not, it's, it's, there was still that island of denial that we could all live right. in. But the minute you go in and you hear the diagnosis, it, it becomes, okay, now it's, there, there's that isle, that island of denial just got a whole lot smaller. Still exists, but it got smaller. Exactly, exactly. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Mary Underwood of Artist Way. But it doesn't conclude our conversation. So come back for part two with Mary, where we will discuss the importance of advocating for your loved one living in a memory care facility or living in a nursing home. You can find more information about Mary and links to Artist Senior Living website on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.